0: Hola.
1: Hello and welcome to this episode of the sports wrap up. My name is Jonathan Michael, and as always, I will be joined by my co host, the marvelous Joey Thompson, in just a few minutes. I want to thank you to our listeners for making us a part of your week. However, you may be listening on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts may be consumed. We are there. Also want to mention to follow along with us on Twitter. At JM Sports Wrap Up. At Marv underscore Wrap Up. We love to engage with the people during the week. We appreciate the dialogue. We don't want to just talk at you. We want to talk with you. Also, this podcast is brought to you by Audible. Go ahead and visit audibletrial.com slash audible wrap-up to get started today with a special offer for our listeners. Well, you will receive a free month's membership along with three credits towards audio books. If you like podcasts, folks, you're really going to like audio books. It's a great way to consume new information, new knowledge So go ahead and check it out. That's audibletrial.com slash wrap-up to get started today. We've got a lot of good information in this episode, a lot of news to go. So, we're going to get into our first quarter and talk about the heir apparent to Drew Brees. Just this past week, the Saints have named Taysom Hill the heir apparent, the successor to Drew Brees. This was reported by Jay Glazer who had some dialogue inside sources with the Saints. And I have no doubt Jay Glazer, who is kind of the gold standard in NFL reporting, the gold standard of insiders, he, Ian Rappaport, and maybe a few others, what they say is gospel. I have no doubt that somebody within the Saints organization told him this, whether it was Sean Payton or someone else. But you know, it took me... The first 25 years of my life, I'm still in my 20s, late 20s, but it took me 25 or so years to learn an important lesson. Believe what people do, not what they say. When people say stuff, it gives you a hit of dopamine. When they say something nice, when they say something that's agreeable, it excites you. It makes you feel good. You get misguided by your feelings but believe what people do, not what they say. If you're a salesperson and you're in a conversation, somebody says that they're gonna order, but they'll order next week, you might wanna push for that sale because feelings change, finances change. It's time to make that deal now. If your husband or wife or girlfriend or boyfriend says they'll stop doing this or that, something that really bothers you, they better show you quickly or start making some progress because you don't wanna wait five years down the road. People say a lot of things, you're in that relationship five years down the road. They haven't changed. They haven't shown you anything. It's not a good time. You got to nip that in the bud early. You got to take care of it. Now, as I said, I have the utmost respect for Jay Glazer. So this is not a shot at him. I believe his reporting is 100% accurate from what he heard or what the Saints said. It's not that I do not believe that Taysom Hill will be a starting quarterback in the NFL. He very well may be and he very well may succeed Drew Brees, whether it's next year or in the future. I believe he has a lot of value to the team. So do the Saints. They've resigned him to a two-year $20 million contract, so they're not going to release him, kick him to the curb. He plays snaps at tight end, running back, fullback, kick returner, and, of course, quarterback. The Saints value Taysom Hill right now, but not at the quarterback position. They may say they do, but actions are louder than words. Not sure if you noticed, but the Saints brought in Jameis Winston to be the backup to Drew Brees this season. Well, you tell me you love Taysom Hill and you want him to succeed Drew Brees and that he will. You aren't showing me that you trust him to even be the backup. And there are good reasons why. They may not trust him to even be the backup right now. Taysom Hill's most completions in an NFL game, one. Taysom Hill has seven completions in his career. Jameis Winston has 10 completions to the Saints in his career. Now, those were interceptions, but you get my point. Seven completions, that's it. I'm going to tell you what this is. This is a CYA statement, you know, cover your blank, cover your butt, we'll call it, to keep this podcast PG, so I don't have to put the explicit tag on it. The Saints are covering their butts because Taysom Hill right now is not happy. For several years, the last year or two, he was under the impression that he was going to be the successor Sean Payton had said a lot of nice things about him in the press, suggesting that he was going to be the successor. And then they signed Jameis Winston. Somebody was not happy. You ever been in a position where you think you're going to get the promotion, boss tells you you're going to get the promotion, and suddenly they bring in somebody from the outside. They hire somebody externally. That's exactly what the Saints did. Certainly not a good feeling for Taysom Hill, and the Saints tried to fix it or are attempting to fix it. That's what's going on here. By conveniently leaking information to one of the best NFL insiders out there to let Taysom Hill know, hey, man, we still love you. We made a decision that's best for our team, best for our company, but we still love you. We still think very highly of you. Even so, though, if you don't trust him to be the backup, to a 41-year-old quarterback who has a higher probability of getting injured, the Saints are telling me, we love you, man, and we want you to stay happy. We got a little carrot and a little stick for you. But we value you as a gadget player, as a tight end, as a receiver, as a change of pace at quarterback. We like you a lot, but you're only going to be a gadget player until you prove more. I'm not saying that Taysom Hill won't be a starter in the NFL. I'm not saying he won't be a starter for the Saints next year. What I am saying is the Saints told us one thing. They told us they trust Taysom Hill to be the franchise quarterback next year, but they don't even trust him to be the backup. The Saints are saying something else entirely with their actions. It's now time to bring in the marvelous Joey Thompson. How you doing today, Marv?
0: Hey, Jonathan. What's up? I'm doing great, man. Just enjoying the weather and hoping for the better. How about you?
1: Doing well. We're getting better every day. We're getting closer to a return to normal, and I am excited about it. But before that day comes, Marv, I got some questions for you. Got to start with this one. The Saints are telling us one thing and doing another with their actions. Are you buying the Saints making Taysom Hill the unquestionable starter of next season or wherever Drew Brees may retire?
0: Not even the Saints believe that Taysom Hill is the unquestionable starter. Uh, I, for one, have seen this in the hints that they've been giving out. I mean, they went out and signed Jameis Winston. Even though it was a one-year deal, they believe in Jameis Winston, and that's why they signed him. And it reminds me of the time when the Saints went out and they signed Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, they, that they made him the third-string quarterback, but guess what? Who started the games when Drew Brees went down? Not Taysom Hill. It was Teddy Bridgewater. And I still see the same trend that the Saints have shown right now with Jameis Winston. He's going to end up being listed as the third quarterback, but guess what? When Drew Brees does go down, or if he needs to take a break, Jameis Winston was going to take over the reins. I think Taysom Hill will always be a gimmick quarterback. The reason why he went undrafted, I mean, he also, when he went to BYU, if I'm not mistaken, he uh, was a walk-on. So the guy has always been an underdog. I'm sure he plays with a chip on his shoulder. He's about to be 30 years old. Jameis Winston's 25. Jameis has started five seasons in the NFL. So we know Jameis can play. He's had some issues turning the ball over. But I think in that system that the New Orleans Saints run, I think that could help Jameis grow as a player. And if he shows a little bit of improvement, I believe he's going to eventually unseat uh, Taysom Hill, when the time comes. If they had an open competition, let's say next year, let's say Drew Brees decides to step down, Jameis Winston would flat out beat Taysom Hill. I think he's that much more uh, physically talented throwing the ball. Taysom Hill's fast, he's athletic, but I just don't see it. I, I honestly, what, putting, you know, comparing the two and what they've accomplished and how they play, I just don't see it. I think Taysom Hill, the Saints are just trying to keep him happy as a contingency plan just in case everything else doesn't work out. That's that's what I think the Saints are doing. So we agree
1: on that. That was my initial opening point. They're telling him to keep him happy. It's a little bit of the carrot and the stick. Got the carrot out there dangling that he can grab, that he feels like he's going to be the starter next time around. But they have to keep him motivated, and that's kind of the stick trailing behind him. You brought up a couple of good points that I did not mention. Taysom Hill is 30 years old. A lot of people forget that, including myself. He was an old rookie. I think he was at BYU for uh, five years because he went on a mission. Uh, BYU is a what's the Mormon college, and uh, he was injured every single season as the quarterback of the BYU Cougars. I think that's important to note that you're going to put your franchise in the hands of somebody who's that remarkably fragile. But Marv, I have no doubt that Taysom Hill is a great athlete. And I have a couple points that see my, my position is not that there's no chance Taysom Hill will be the starter. I think you feel more so based on talent than I do. I'm just kind of relaying to our audience what I believe the saints actually believe. And we agree on that. But I think I can make a strong argument, and I want to know what you think. First, Taysom Hill's on a two-year, $20 million contract. So next year, conceivably, if he was the starter, he'd only be making $10 million. We talk a lot about quarterbacks and the salary cap. That would help significantly in being able to bring in new talent around him. And second, can I argue that he is a... Poor man's Lamar Jackson, and you saw what happened last year. Give the guy a couple reps. We thought Lamar Jackson coming in the league couldn't throw, and boy were we wrong. So, is there a plausible scenario in your mind where those things might be true, and he could be the starting quarterback next season?
0: If you put it that way, um, based on his price tag, worth ten million dollars, that's that's pretty pretty good price tag that they have on him. So, let's say for example, Jameis outplays his contract, which he will because he's only. He took like a $1 million contract. Uh, and then it comes down to money. Then, yeah, of course, Taysom Hill will have the best opportunity to win the starting job, uh, be the franchise quarterback moving forward for the New Orleans Saints. In that case, it would allow the Saints to pay their other skilled players and continue to add to the team. So that way, Taysom Hill can have a more successful transition into becoming the starter. So it wouldn't make a lot of sense. It's not a bad fallback plan. I didn't think about it that way. Now that you brought it up, that makes a lot of sense. If they did go that route with Taysom Hill, then, of course, they can build pretty much a juggernaut. And, I mean, and Sean Payton's quarterback-friendly offense, I think a lot of quarterbacks could thrive in that. I mean, as we've seen Drew Brees, Drew Brees doesn't throw a lot of passes down the field. A lot of his passes are dink and dunk screens. I think that alone will blow any quarterback's uh, numbers and make it look a lot better than what they really are. So that's a really good idea, and, I, and I'm sure that they, the Saints have thought about that as well.
1: My idea in talking about this is not to uh, belittle or say anything negative about Taysom Hill. I'm just making the point that people will tell you one thing and they'll go ahead and do a completely other thing. And that's exactly what the Saints did in signing Jameis Winston. You could make the argument that Jameis was signed because he was such a bargain. I mean, Marv, if somebody offered you a lake house for 10 grand, you might, you might buy it just because it's such a good deal and they couldn't afford not to get Jameis Winston at the price that they did, as you mentioned, one million dollars with a value of up to three million for Jameis, but it tells me that if you were so hyped up on a quarterback that he was like, man, undoubtedly going to be our starter when Drew Brees retires, I'm with you. They would not sign him, so it doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, they're saying one thing and doing another, and I believe that we agree on that. Let's shift gears to our second quarter and talk about the never-ending drama between Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys in their contract negotiations. Now, I know we've talked about Dak. We've talked about the Cowboys quite a bit, but the saga is ongoing. It's big news. I have an interesting piece of perspective and I want to talk about it a little bit more. So don't tune out just yet. This situation between Dak and Dallas reminds me of the dating culture that we're in right now. We're in what I'd call the dating app era. Some people are hesitant to change. They romanticize the past and people have been negative about dating apps You don't get the in-person contact. You don't get to really feel out a person. You don't really know what they're like until you meet them in person. I get it. I understand. But I'm a big believer. You have to adapt. You have to change. You have to see the positives of things that are going on around you. And the QB market has kind of become like a dating app. Dating apps allow you to connect to a huge pool of people all over the world. You have tons of options on these apps. You're no longer limited to the old-fashioned way of dating where if you're in a small town or you go to one bar or you go to one school, you're no longer just limited to those people that you see. You can meet almost anyone and at the same time, you make a small investment in conversation and maybe you go out for some drinks. But if it doesn't work out and this person just isn't the right fit for you, it's a lot easier to move on because you have a lot of options, a lot more than you had in previous times, in a previous dating era. It allows you to explore and figure out what's best for you before you decide to get into that serious relationship or you get married. Marriage and serious dating are big investments. You got to meet the family. You got to go do the things that she likes. It takes a lot out of you. So it better be worth it if you're going to be serious. Dating apps allow you to protect your investment of your time, your money, and protect you from emotional distress. And I say the QB market is a lot like dating apps because before what I'd call this modern era of dating in this modern era of football that we're in now. It was hard to find a quarterback. You were limited to whatever you had and you paid that guy. There were a lot of busts in the NFL draft. It was a 50, 60% proposition that if you got a quarterback, Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf, flip of a coin, one of them was a bust. One of them might be great, but you're looking at 50% chance of a bust. We got a pretty good guy here. We better roll with him. The QB market was like a small-town dating market. You went with what you had because it may be your only chance. It may be your only choice. And if you let it get away, things could get a heck of a lot worse for you. Now we have quarterbacks all over the league working from day one. Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes in his first season, MVP. Even guys who can't cut it in the league, who don't have the talent because the league is so friendly to offense, so friendly to quarterbacks. Even Mitch Trubisky, who I bag on a lot, is 19 and 11 as a starter. So to tell me that Dak Prescott or any quarterback wins anymore, it doesn't mean a lot to me to show me their numbers. It doesn't mean a lot. Show me their Super Bowls. Show me their playoff wins. Dak doesn't have those. Players are now in a better position coming out of the draft, whether they're first, second, even fourth rounders like Dak to succeed from day one. So these reports that Dak and his agent turned down a five-year, $175 million contract extension while Russell Wilson is making $35 million. Patrick Mahomes is talking about taking a hometown discount because he values, you know, winning. Winning which is important to some people, maybe not so important to Dak if he thinks he can make $45 million and win. He's telling me a lot, Super Bowls and winning, not important to me. It's all about me, 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 give me my money. Which I'm not sure if that's Dak or his agent. I actually tend to believe it's his agent leading him astray. But that rookie contract of Dak that he's on right now, or any rookie quarterback, it's a lot like that dating app conversation. Cowboys didn't have to... Invest a lot in the Dak right now. So it's worth it. You don't have to invest a lot in the dating app era of the NFL, of the quarterbacks. If it's Kirk Cousins, who's nice and reliable, but you're just not that into him, it's okay to let him walk. QBs are ready to play in the first, second, or the fourth round like Dak, like Josh Allen. They're ready to go. They'll put you in the playoffs in the first year, even if they're not refined because the league is so friendly to offense. Winning. As a QB, it just isn't enough. You're more easily replaceable than ever before. It's a dating app market. It's no longer the small town, small world market that Dak thinks that he lives in. The world of NFL quarterbacks has changed. I don't know if teams realize it yet. I know he doesn't realize it. Quarterbacks don't have the leverage. You're not the prom king in a small town Dak. There's no leverage for you, man. There's a whole world out there that he's not taking into account. Just because the Cowboys have you now does not mean that they're stuck with you. They can grab somebody in the middle of the first round and the second round who they really like, who fits their offense with C.D. Lamb, with Amari Cooper, with Ezekiel Elliott, with that offensive line and plug them in very easily. They can go out on quarterback Tinder, the draft, and replace you easy, bud. Unless you're Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers, you just can't win a Super Bowl if you're paying a guy $45 million. And I'm not a prisoner of the moment. I understand $45 million five years from now is not going to be what it is today. Salary caps will go up exponentially. But if I'm the Dallas Cowboys, I'm seriously considering right now, and I don't say this for hyperbole. I don't say this for shock value. You know that's not me if you listen to this show. I'm seriously considering renouncing Dak's franchise tag. I'm done with him. I'm done with the drama. He said he's not going to report to camp. I'm just done with it. I don't need the distractions. I have a very good team. I have a new coach. I want to get somebody else in there. Now, I believe Dak has better upside and he's better than Andy Dalton, but his drama and his irritation and agitation and his rebellion against the franchise just isn't worth it. Dak is worth four more points in Vegas than Andy Dalton. Something, but it's not a lot. And here's the thing. You don't have to rely on Andy Dalton. It's not too late to bring in that guy called Cam Newton. Yeah, he's pretty good. Now, there's concerns about injury with Cam Newton, but you got Andy Dalton as the backup. Let him duel it out. Let him figure out which one fits better in the system. It's a risk worth taking. It's a very Jerry Jones-like move. Who loves big PR splashes and big hits with fans and controlling the media and controlling the narrative and having us talk about him more than Jerry Jones? So it's your move, Mr. Jones. What are you going to do? So Marv, if I am the Cowboys, I'm not saying this for hyperbole. I'm not saying this to be dramatic. I'm seriously looking at, I'm not saying I'm going to do it. I'm seriously considering that I'm just going to renounce Dak Prescott's franchise rights on the franchise tag. Not make it exclusive anymore. Dak, you can go talk to other people. I really think if that was the scenario, he'd end up back in Dallas. You can share your thoughts on that. But I want to end this question by saying, do you think that the idea of doing that is crazy? And do you think that in the interim, or if they were to do that, should they look at signing Cam Newton?
0: I don't think it's a crazy idea to do that. Just uh, deep into the offseason, it would make a lot of sense. If the Cowboys went ahead and did that and had a backup plan and signed a guy, let's say, like Cam Newton at a right price, that I would I would think would be a big power move for the Cowboys, being if they signed Cam Newton, let's say, for something similar to what Jameis Winston got, and they'd be able to go ahead and use the money that they saved from renouncing Dak and possibly adding more pieces to their defense and their team to make, your team a lot more balanced than the Cowboys would be really in really good shape. Uh I, I think the Cowboys should consider it. Do I think they'll do it? I don't think so, but that would be a big power move. And that would say a lot on what Jerry's trying to accomplish. And I think a guy like Cam Newton, if he's at least 90% uh, healed from The injuries that he occurred, that he uh, had the last two seasons, uh, shoulder injuries and whatnot. I think that Cam Newton can win a lot of games in Dallas behind that really good offensive line, with a stout running game and the the star receivers that he's going to have. He's going to have a plethora of of weapons, and he's going to have an offensive minded uh, coach and Mike McCarthy, who's supposedly to be kind of like a quarterback whisperer so with all that put together cap Noon would thrive in dallas and he wouldn't really have to do much because of all the weapons around him he would just have to go out there and, and play quarterback and i think that's that's what Dak is missing he's he's while he's doing this holdout and not signing his uh, transition tag and he's turning down all these deals he's losing quality time with the new coaching staff, he's losing quality time with his uh wide receivers, his running backs. This is all really affecting him, and I think the Cowboys eventually are going to have to put their foot down and say, hey, you either signed this contract or we're going to move on. And that, that could be a real possibility if if it keeps dragging on. We're in the month of, towards the end of the month of May, going into June, and eventually the NFL is going to start minute camps sometime in June. And then we got training camp in July. The time is ticking. Dak Prescott, you're on the clock.
1: So the two reasons I see why Cam Newton does not have a team. He's injured and no one can confirm or they're worried about the uh, process of re-injury or the potential of re-injury. And number two... He brings along with him a large personality, which creates a circus-like environment. And I mean that literally with uh, his clothes that he wears and all that. I mean, it's just a big deal to a lot of people. Look, I'm very fashion forward. I like my clothes just as much as Cam. I, I respect what he does, although I personally think it looks still ridiculous, even being a fashion forward person. Well, enough with that. But Cam, those are the two reasons why Cam Newton is not signed right now and with the Cowboys. I have Andy Dalton as a backup, so if he gets injured, my downside is very low. The circus, Dallas is a circus. Dallas loves PR. They love the hoopla. They love everything about it. Dallas is what Cam Newton is. It's kind of a perfect marriage for them to come together, and it would keep us talking about them forever. Cam Newton, the Cowboys, they'd be competitive. It's really hard to fail in this offense, that offensive line. Zeke Elliott, Amari Cooper, you had CD Lamb, Michael Gallup, who nobody talks about, is a solid wide receiver, number two. But I want to circle back to Dak here for a second, Marv. What is Dak? Just try to be objective here. You and I are not big fans of Dak, but what is Dak's value? He certainly has value in the open market and to the Dallas Cowboys. What would you pay him? What is his value? And would you pay him that, or would you go another route?
0: Honestly, I think his open market value is a lot lower than what he's requesting. Uh, with the body of work that he's put on uh, during the past couple seasons, I think he's not worth more than maybe twenty-five to thirty million. And that's you know stretching it a bit. I mean, he wants to get paid more than guys like Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. These guys have Super Bowls, Super Bowl MVPs. They've had multiple winning seasons. Dak Prescott's only had, I believe, one winning season. So we can't really compare him to those guys, uh, because they've won more than him. So they've earned their contracts. I'm not saying Dak Prescott doesn't uh he doesn't uh what's it called? He didn't earn those the money he wants to get, but I don't think he's accomplished enough in the league to be awarded the contract that rich to be named the highest paid quarterback in the league. There's guys out there like Tom Brady, who for many seasons got paid a lot less than backups for God's sakes to win championships. Look at Peyton Manning, his last three to four seasons in Denver, he took a massive pay cut especially in the Super Bowl season, he was getting paid $15 million. He took a pay cut so John Elway could build a better team around him. And guess what? They ended up winning the Super Bowl. In the NFL, you need a good quarterback and a balanced team. Once you have an elite quarterback and a balanced team, you have a great chance of winning the Super Bowl. And I know the Cowboys are starting to see that, and they're like, man, we really want to give Dak Prescott $40 million? What's going to happen to the rest of the team? We just gave Amari Cooper $100 million. I mean, it, you got you to gotta look at it that way in the long term. And then you also gave your star running back a big contract. So you can't keep giving everybody a big contract. Eventually, you're going to hit the cap, and then you're not going to be able to continue adding. And a lot of these teams are, are winning constantly. They have one thing in common. Their quarterbacks have all taken pay cuts for the better of the team. And I think Dak Prescott needs to take a seat back, take a back seat and learn from those guys and do the same thing. And that way the Cowboys can continue to build a championship caliber team and win games. And I think Dak, at most, if he hit the open market, it's not going to get more than twenty-five million dollars. No one in the right mind is going to pay him what he's asking for right off the bat. Be it a Jacksonville or whoever's out there looking for a quarterback, they're not going to be able to pay him what he wants this year. They would give him a short, a one-year contract and say, "Prove it to us that you 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 uh really want this money." And that's what's going to happen if he does hit the open market.
1: As much as we talk about renouncing the tag and bring in Cam Newton and let Andy Dalton and Cam Newton battle it out, that is a backup plan. That is a contingency plan and what the Dallas Cowboys might consider a worst case scenario. I might consider it a best case scenario, actually, but it, but I'm biased. I'm in the media. I think it's interesting. <laughs> uh, but realistically, that's a worst case scenario for Dallas if they were to renounce him. But if they did renounce the rights, I fully believe Dak comes back to the Cowboys. Dak, if you ever had a stuffed animal as a kid and the thing is so valuable to you, it means everything. When you're a kid, you got to sleep with it. If you don't have it, you can't sleep. There's a lot of kids like that. And Dak has value to the Cowboys. He's that stuffed animal. He doesn't have value to anyone else in the league. Uh, there's always a sucker, as they say. There's a there's a new sale or a new sucker born every day. But this league is so chock full of quarterbacks and what I call the Tinder era uh, of quarterbacks. You can just swipe right on someone else. Josh uh, Rosen goes into the Arizona Cardinals, tenth, eleventh pick, whatever he was. Nah, we don't really feel good about him the next year, and they draft a quarterback. There is so many options and Dak is the cohesive part. He makes the engine run and you don't have to rebuild anything in Dallas. And that's what his value is. That's why he has value. But his, if we were to put it in baseball terms, the big stat wins above replacement of somebody with talent that they could draft or a Cam Newton. I don't see it being very high. Now it's better than Andy Dalton, but it's a, it's a totally different world out there for quarterbacks. And and Dak is really overplaying his value. And for as much as we've called out his name and picked on him, I do believe his agent is doing him wrong. I believe his agent is misleading and misguiding him, and he may be trusting him a bit too much. But Dak Prescott has a brain. He's a smart guy. He knows everything to say at the podium in Dallas, big bright lights. He knows how to handle it. There's really no excuse for this playing out the way that it is on his end. I get it. You get your money. But at a certain point, it becomes very greedy. And I don't know about you, Marv. I'm not tired of talking about it. It's fun to talk about. But I do believe it's a little bit insane that we're still talking about it, that Dak Prescott and Dallas can't work out a deal. And like you said, everybody who has won Super Bowls, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, these great legends, Pat Mahomes is now talking about taking a hometown discount. That's how you win Super Bowls. Dallas wants to win Super Bowls. So they claim Dak Prescott wants to win Super Bowl, so he claims. I don't see it. I don't, I don't see it happening. It's certainly not going to happen with him making $40, 45000000 million a year in his last year of the deal. It's crazy. Let's shift to our third quarter, what we're now calling the NFL Prediction Show. In this third quarter, we're going to be predicting the NFL season outcomes. We're going to be predicting the divisions. We're going to go week by week. This is an eight week segment. We're going to start with the AFC East. So here we go. Looking at last place, I have the Finns, the Dolphins at six and 10. This is a rebuild. Yes, I know that they overachieved last year, went five and 11. And a lot of people are thinking, wow, look at what they did last year. They added to the team. They got Tua. They're going to become a big jump onto the scene, fish out of water, pun intended team that, that's really exciting. And, uh, their schedule is difficult. I broke it down game by game. I'm not just spitballing here. Not sure if Tua is going to play right away. They overachieved last year. They're going to come back to the pack six and 10. And they have a very bright future. I'm, I'm bullish on them in the future, but this year is not going to quite be their year just yet. Six and 10, Dolphins in fourth place. Next, the Patriots, seven and nine went at it game by game. Like I said, they have no weapons. They have a QB who struggled in his only appearance last year. Uh, he he was put in for Tom Brady. They took him back out because the game got too close with the way that he was playing. And you're going to tell me that that guy is going to be the savior and the next in the line of great quarterbacks. And New England's trying to sell that narrative, but we know what they're doing. I think Marv agrees with me. We know what they're doing. They're, they're kind of tanking and putting the season on the back burner and looking to get that great quarterback next year, whether it be Trevor Lawrence, whether it be uh, – Justin Fields, I was going to say Justin Herbert, Justin Fields out of Ohio State. They'll have a nice start too. I see them being two and one. They face the Dolphins and the Raiders to begin and there'll be a lot of buzz. Oh, look at Belichick doesn't need Tom Brady. Then the schedule gets tough. They finish seven and nine, one game about, above the Dolphins. Next, this is where it really gets interesting. I have the Bills in third place. I'm not going to say who the first place team is, but you can figure it out. But the Bills, I have them starting four and oh. And we're going to be talking about the Bills early on in the season. They get the Dolphins, the Rams, the Raiders, and they'll beat the Jets as well as they are in Buffalo for the first game. But the schedule gets a lot tougher. It's going to be very difficult for them. Josh Allen, very average quarterback. His football IQ has never impressed me in big situations. We saw that in the playoffs against the Texans run around like he has no idea what he's doing. I see them being 10 and 6 and very formidable. I think that they can make the playoffs at that 10 and 6 record with the added playoff team. And like I said, these are really 1A and 1B to me. I don't know what the tiebreaker will be, but first place, I have the Jets 10 and 6. Yes, those Jets. And I do have them starting out in a very rough place. They'll play at the Bills, then they'll play the 49ers and at the Colts and at the Broncos. I think that they'll win one of those games. I'm not sure exactly which one it's going to be. They're going to be 1-3, and three, but that's where it gets interesting. The schedule eases up majorly. They face the Chargers, the Dolphins twice, the Raiders, the Rams, who I think are going to be terrible this season. And they face the Cardinals, who are a nice upstart team, but they're going to struggle and they're going to be in in New York. They have the Browns at home. The Browns, I think, are like an 8-8 and team. I think they're kind of a mirror image of the Jets. I'll give the Jets the advantage of being at home. And the Bills and the Jets split the season series. They're both at 10 and 6. That is my standings. Got the Dolphins at last place, 6 and 10. Followed by the Patriots, 7 and 9. Bills and Jets, 10 and 6. Marv, give the people your thoughts.
0: All right. So we have three differences. First one is I have the Patriots finishing fourth. I just don't see them winning many games at all they've they've uh, made their point clear during the draft that they don't care about adding any new quarterbacks to the roster meaning they're just going to go with Stidham and uh I believe Brian Hoyer which have been two Brian Hoyer's record speaks for itself is pretty bad and Stidham as you mentioned Hasn't shown me any flashes that he's going to be any good anytime soon. So this is a six and 10 season for the Patriots in my book. I have the Dolphins surprisingly finishing seven and nine. So I have them at least possibly sweeping the Patriots this season. Uh, I like what they did this offseason. They added a lot of good complimentary pieces to a young core. Uh, they just got to put it all together, but I, I see them taking the next step and winning an extra game or two from their last season total. Then, this is where we also disagreed. I have the Jets finishing at 8-8. Eight and eight. See, I still think the Jets need a lot. Uh, well, not a lot. They need a little bit more help to, for, for Darnold. They need to add some more pieces. He lost his number one target. Uh, Jamison Crowder is coming back. They added uh, Perryman from the Buccaneers, and they drafted Denzel Mims. So they added some reinforcements, but I still think the Jets are missing one or two pieces on offense to help Darnold make, take that leap into a playoff-type quarterback. Now, that that alone also, the Jets burned me last year, so I'm a little <laughs> wary on picking them winning 10 games this year. So that's so why I played it safe with them. And then last but not least, of course, we both agreed the Bills are 10 and six. The Bills added a few pieces like Stephon Diggs. They, uh, added the new running back as well. They added some other, uh, players on defense. So the Bills went out and they, they added strength on top of strength. I still think that's not good enough for them to win more than 10 games, but it'll be enough for them to win the AFC East, which has now solely become theirs to lose. So that's, Those are my um, predictions for the AFC East. We were almost similar. We were off maybe one or two games on each prediction. But um, yeah, uh, as we both predicted, the Bills will go 10-6. and
1: I understand the Bills being the presumptive favorite. Love their coach, Sean McDermott. Love their franchise and the way that they're built. I saw the difference or the breakdown between our analysis being that The Bills have a tougher schedule in the end. They'll start out with the easy street, and then I look at the quarterbacks. I understand your concern, and I have the same concern for the addition of weapons around Sam Darnold. I think he could use more. But he does have Perryman, who's the speed threat, replaces Robbie Anderson from last year, who is his number one target, who they let go to Carolina. They add Mims, who I think is going to have a nice career out of Baylor. His game tape just screams star wide receiver to me. And of course, they have Le'Veon Bell, who doesn't exactly fit the system, but he's still Le'Veon Bell and he's still a very nice player. And I see the difference here being Sam Darnold is able to elevate players once he has time. Now, this is me projecting in the future. We haven't seen that yet, but I believe he is a type of player who elevates his receivers. We have Tom Brady for the longest time elevated mediocre to bottom level weapons within a system. I think Sam Darnold can be that type of quarterback where Dak's play is elevated by his receivers. So there's two different types of quarterbacks, and they're both very serviceable and sufficient and sometimes even Hall of Fame level like Tom Brady. My big disconnect was the quarterbacks, and I really like Sam Darnold and that schedule over Buffalo and their difficult schedule and lower-end quarterback. Final word, Marv?
0: No, it makes sense to what you're saying, Um, but I just still don't the Jets. They got to show me a little bit more for me to believe in them again. You know, I was, I was riding high on their uh, train last year. I was picking them to finish 10 and six or more. I thought they were, they started off, I believe, pretty decent and they fell off the cliff for a little bit once, um, Darnold caught Mono. I believe if, if he would have played those games he missed, then we would, I would have been singing a different tune right now about the Jets, but, I'm still on the fence. Fair enough.
1: You're a cautious investor. I'm more of a zealot for the Jets myself. I was on that side. I just don't think Sam Darnold's going to get mono again. And I think he's going to be much improved this season, another offseason, another year in Adam Gase's offense. I'm really bullish and really optimistic about the Jets. You got to hold me to it, Marv. Audience, hold me to it. I'm ride or die for the Jets. So here we go. Let's get into our fourth quarter and talk about quick hitters. That is our patented segment where we go around the leagues. We got a little bit of boxing, soccer, hockey, Madden, you name it. We got everything in this thing. You think there's no sports news out there? You are very wrong, friends. Marv, Mike Tyson says he's in the best shape of his life. Yeah, that Mike Tyson. He's 230 pounds. Look up photos of him on the internet. He is lean. He is ripped. He looks ready to go. And he says he's making a comeback to boxing at age 53. Marv, are you taking this seriously?
0: I don't think it's serious. I think Mike is being Mike, trying to sell himself. But guess what? Uh, The other night, I saw Mike on AEW, uh, All Elite Wrestling. Uh, Him and Jericho seem to have been... starting up a, a rivalry and so looks like mike tyson is back in tv he uh he's on aew so maybe he could be he could have been joking about the whole boxing thing but he did show up on one sports entertainment uh program so we'll see um i don't think if he got in the ring today he would be able to last with any of these boxers i mean at 53 years old i mean it is mike tyson But, I mean, over the years, I'm sure his power has gone down. And, of course, he's up there in AIDS. Imagine him going head-to-head with uh, Deontay Wilder. I don't think he would last in the ring with Deontay Wilder. So, no, I don't take Mike Tyson serious in, in coming back to boxing.
1: Look, folks, if you haven't seen Mike Tyson fight, if you haven't seen the highlights, please go look it up. It is incredible. He may not have been the most technically sound boxer in the world, However, he was powerful and he could hammer you really fast. Marv, I see a scenario where he's going to get something around $20 million to have a celebrity fight. I don't know who that might be. Somebody of name value, somebody that's also around his age that'd be willing to fight. We live in a world where YouTube uh, celebrities... Box, Logan and Ryan, Jake Paul, whatever the hell their names are, who cares? But they box and they make millions of dollars because they're already famous. Mike Tyson's the same. He's not (laughs) going to be fighting Deontay Wilder, but I do expect him in the ring at some point. I'm actually kind of excited about it. So, on to the next. We're going to talk a little hockey and soccer. I know we don't normally, but this is good news. We like a little good news in our segments. NHL is set to return as soon as they are allowed. They're looking at a, I believe, a twenty or twenty-four team playoff. They're going to get it rolling right out of the gate. And the English Premier League is returning in mid-June. That date is set in stone. Question for you, Marvel: Will you be watching either?
0: I believe so. I'm going to probably tune into the Premier League. That's one of the top soccer leagues in the world uh, in England. So I will be watching. um, See how they go ahead and move forward with this whole social distancing thing and how they implement all the, you know, the rules. I've seen the Bundesliga started up a few weeks ago, two weeks ago, to be exact. And they've so far have been successful with it. So now we have the premier league and, and I think I'll be tuning into that because they have a lot more competitive teams like Liverpool, uh, Manchester United, and so, and Chelsea. So, I'll definitely be tuning into NHL. I'm not a big fan of hockey. I might tune in just for the heck of it, just to see how they're handling everything as well. Since that's more of a close contact sport, similar to football. So I want to, I'll just, you know, tune in just to see how they're handling it as well, but I won't watch as much. I'll probably watch soccer a little bit more than hockey
1: marv our international friend you are international spokesperson so it's no surprise you'll be watching soccer uh yeah i i uh i'm with you on the fact that i will watch both but only a little bit if it's on in the time frame that i tune on to the tv i tune into the tv i will watch it something like watching dinner or chilling out at night but i'm not going to go out of my way to watch either one but i'm pretty excited to have live sports back on television that are not baseball because I'm not going to watch that anyways. Sorry, baseball, just being honest. (laughs) Marv, Madden has extended its exclusive contract with the NFL to be the only simulation game. So there can be arcade style games, 2K. There was a lot of hype about 2K getting a new football game. It's going to be sort of like an NFL blitz or something more unrealistic. The word simulation infers that it's the real, uh, most real setting that you can get How does this make you feel? I know you play Madden.
0: I don't like the deal. Reason being is I feel that if Madden had competition, I think they would put out a far more superior game. Uh, Years ago, when Madden was going head-to-head with 2K, I felt those were the best games because they had to put out a better product. But when you have no competition, you can just put out whatever you like so i feel like madden is going to be unmotivated to continue to innovate and create better content for us gamers who enjoy madden on a yearly basis so i don't like the deal i was hoping that another company like 2k sports or something would be able to put out a game that way we can get a feel for both and and you know be the judge ourselves what is the best Football simulation game out in the market.
1: It's kind of like if Coke didn't have Pepsi, Coke wouldn't be as good because Pepsi pushes them to be better and keep their quality standards up because they have a competitor. And Madden simply doesn't have a competitor. So they have no motivation to fix their problems. And being a Madden player, I'm going to keep playing because I love the NFL, but I'm very disappointed in that. And I was looking forward to some competition with 2K again. We got a a whiff of that being a possibility, and it's not, and it's kind of disappointing. On to the next. DeAndre Hopkins says that he's the best wide receiver in the world. He said Michael Thomas of the Saints has Drew Brees, and Julio Jones of the Falcons has Matt Ryan, and he says they know he would be better than them if he had their QBs. Do you believe D-Hop is the best in the world, Marv?
0: Believe it or not, I don't think – DeAndre Hopkins is the best in the world. Now, he did have some pretty bad quarterbacks in his career. He played with Matt Schaub, uh just to name one of them, uh, Brian Hoyer, a couple bad guys out there. Yeah, he accomplished a lot more than what he should have. But I still think Julio Jones is the best wide receiver in the world pound for pound because that guy's just that talented. And, P- and D-Hop may say, well, he had Matt Ryan his whole career. I honestly think he's made Matt Ryan into the quarterback he is. Without Julio Jones, Matt Ryan wouldn't be that good. You take away Julio Jones's numbers and look at Matt Ryan's numbers without Julio Jones, they're not very great. So I think in that part, I think Julio Jones is the best receiver. Michael Thomas thrives off of a system. It's a wide receiver-friendly system in New Orleans. Uh, he gets a lot of his catches after the the catch, a lot of yak. So that that's big ups to him. He's he's one of the top yak guys, but he catches a lot of he catches about thirty passes a day a game because the the Saints force feed him. So I would say my list would go: Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, then Michael Thomas. So to answer your question, I don't think D Hop is the best in the world.
1: To me, I got Julio Jones, D-Hop, and Michael Thomas, just like you. The reason being, when Julio Jones is healthy, he is the most explosive, fastest, highest jumping, trustworthy receiver I think that there is. Now, that is in a perfect world in terms of talent. When you say the best, I would it's tough to say. So I, like I said, that isn't a perfect world with just talent and no injury being equal. I will say that DeAndre Hopkins has a very strong argument to be the best wide receiver in the world. When you take into account injury, he's always on the field. He doesn't drop the ball. He's incredibly dynamic. And we're going to see how much he was valued to uh, Deshaun Watson, because this is going to be his first year without a, throw it up to a guy, and have him bail you out receiver. So it is really close. Julio Jones on talent alone, if I get one game, one Super Bowl, and they're healthy, I'm taking Julio Jones. But I certainly believe Hopkins has a very strong argument as best in the world. Marv, Mike Singletary. Yes, that Mike Singletary, who was the 49ers head coach in the NFL, a strong defensive coordinator, has stepped down from his high school Coaching job after going one in 21 in two seasons. What do you make of this?
0: I think it's time to just hang it up. Uh, Mike tried his hand in, in, uh, professional sports as a head coach. He has tried his hand as a high school coach. Obviously he's continued to fail wherever he goes. So maybe it's just time for him to just say, you know what? It's time for me to go. I mean, he's just further, how I say, making himself look bad. He was a great Hall of Fame linebacker. I mean, the guy was awesome. But there comes a time in life where you just got to come to your realization and say, you know what? Maybe football's not for me anymore. Maybe I should just stay home and watch it. And I think that's what my singletary should do. Uh, his glory years are past him, and possibly his coaching is not as good as he thought it was. I mean, he started off hot, on fire his first year with the 49ers, but after that, it's just been downhill since then. So, if Mike, if you ever listen to this, take our advice. Just call it quits.
1: You had tremendous respect for Mike Singletary's playing career. Uh, for his style and for his passion. But Mike Singletary is a lesson, one that we talk about often on the show. You need to look at your surroundings and be able to adapt. Those who succeed adapt. They're willing and able to change. And I'll never forget Mike Singletary's kind of last major press conferences. They cannot play with him, cannot coach with him, cannot win with him because he had a minor dispute and he put it on a public display and his style just no longer works with youth whether it's NFL or high school because he didn't adapt he's a you know hard core guy tough guy toughness is everything and toughness is important but the NFL coaches now understand relationships and and high school coaches as well understand relationships they understand where uh people are at and where to meet them Mike Singletary is a sad story in somebody who is either unable or unwilling to evolve. And this is what happens. You could be an NFL coach and you go down to the high school level and you can't even win there. It doesn't matter. Uh, it's about changing and and evolving. And he was unable to do that. And finally, the big news, Marv. NBA, when they return, I do believe it's now a when. There's no set date. But they're looking at a World Cup style playoffs which means they'll have 16 teams they'll divide them into four groups they'll play uh or every team will play the other teams two times so a total of eight games you get the top four teams coming out of these brackets and you pair them into the western conference finals eastern conference finals whatever semi finals you want to call them then the winners play for the finals and you crown a champion how do you feel about this format
0: that format seems really fun. I think I would tune in. Uh, it would keep us, the sports fans, on the edge of our seat. Uh, it would basically even the playing field for a lot of these teams, and it will be served kind of like a, a tune-up or a warm-up for the, the top teams, meaning, they, you know, depending on who they get matched up with, because I'm sure it's going to be seeded like number one seed versus number, let's say, eight seed or 16th seed. And that way, once they get to the next step, which would be then the semifinals, then, of course, they'd be ready for playoff basketball, and we would get some a really good, high-quality uh, game of basketball. So I, I, I like what the NBA is thinking or trying to come up with. I think those are really good ideas.
1: We are so starved for sports, Marv. We'd watch just about anything right now. We're talking about watching (laughs) hockey and soccer. I mean, these are serious considerations. So whatever the NBA does, they can't go wrong. But man, it would be like overload, overjoyous excitement to watch the NBA in this World Cup style play. You get each team playing twice, eight games in each uh Each division, you get 32 games. Uh, It's crazy. I mean, it would be so much fun to watch. It'd be so intriguing. And with the starvation of sports, the ratings would go through the roof. I think this would make it more interesting to the casual fan rather than watching seven games of Memphis versus the Lakers or whoever the heck the eighth seed is going to be. It's a very boring watch, even for me, who uh, I'm on the higher end of really loving, liking the NBA, whatever you want to call it. I really enjoy watching it especially in the playoffs, this would be a huge hit and it would give them an insight into the future what they could do potentially. Maybe they wouldn't do it the same over again, but something to make the NBA a little bit more interesting in the playoffs because it certainly needs help in the beginning. That is the end of our episode, folks. We appreciate you listening along with us. Uh, we don't charge. Of course, this is a podcast, but one thing that we'd ask that you do is. If you enjoy this show, if you get something from the show, if you learn from this show, if you take away anything positive from it, we ask that you share it with somebody. Um, I know a lot of you have been doing that. We appreciate it. It helps our podcast grow. We love doing it. So we'd love to hear from you. Love to hear your feedback. Talk with us on Twitter. We'd love to have a conversation. Marv, do you have anything for the people?
0: Sharon is Karen. Uh, we want to continue to grow with you guys. We love all our, our loyal listeners. And we continue to give you guys great stories and cover the best news in sports. Keep on hanging in there. And we appreciate you guys.
1: Absolutely. It's a two-way street. The more you help us, the more we can help you, the more we can take time to bring new content. If you enjoy it, the more we could do some sort of giveaways or anything uh, of that nature to get you guys more engaged and more excited and more interested. So, uh, recommend us. What do you have to lose? I think we have a lot of fun here and we hope you have fun listening to us as well. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great week. Later, people. It's a wreck. Hold up.